something. Good. Better. Awesome. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we look to you this, this evening, knowing, Lord, that without you we can do nothing. How much less, Lord, if we read your word without your spirit. Help us to understand, help us to comprehend, help us to know, so that no matter what we do, Lord, or wherever we go, we're able to offer you the praise that you deserve. Jesus, we pray, believing in your Holy Spirit, believing that you can, you can bring life out of things that were dead. You can bring light out of the darkness. And we pray that you shine your light into our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. I don't know how many of you believe in Santa Claus. But my parents just never taught me about Santa Claus. So because of that, I just always was that kid who told all the children, Santa isn't real! And then everyone would cry and go home and scream, and my parents had to get talked to. I'm sure they got talked to. I mean, I was the kid that spoiled it for everybody. But have you ever wondered, I know we're talking about Santa in spring, but bear with me. Have you ever wondered... For all those children that write letters to Santa and address it to the North Pole, where in the world do those letters go? They got to go somewhere, right? Like if you write a letter and it does not go to the address that exists, to an address that exists, usually what happens is it is returned to the sender because it's not deliverable. But somehow all these letters that are written to Santa get mailed somewhere. And it turns out that I did some research and I found out that all the letters addressed to Santa at the North Pole go to uh, the post office main campus in New York City where they get all the letters together and these, this nonprofit organization writes letters back and sometimes buy gifts for children. So if you ever want something, really, like it really works, write something to Santa and you might get it. Just pretend to be like a five-year-old kid, just like write all scribbly and backwards and stuff, you might get something. Why do I bring that up? Well... Many people, many children, millions of ch children probably, are writing letters thinking they're going to Santa when they're going to somebody else. And that's, in fact, what we do when we complain. You ever wondered when you complain who you're talking to? You're not really talking to your friend when you're complaining. You're, you're driving and someone cuts you off. You're like, look at this loser. Look at this stupid head. Who are you talking to? You're not really talking to your friend. You're not really, who are you talking to? You're complaining to someone, and in fact, what we see is when we complain, although we might think we're talking to ourselves, talking to people around us, what we're really doing is we're making our complaint against God. And so it would be healthy for all of us to remember that when we are complaining, that our complaints should be sent back to us, returned to sender. In other words, you're just sending out your complaints, thinking they're going nowhere, 
but you should be taking a look at what you're saying because they're, they're being sent to God. Why do I say that? Because everything you have is a gift. Every single thing that you have. Even if you're not happy with the things that you have, the fact that you have it is a gift. The fact that you have breath is a gift. The fact that you have, a, have life, that you have parents, that you have shoes on your feet right now. All of that is a gift. God didn't have to give you that, but you have it. And so when you make a complaint, you are essentially saying, God, what you have given me is not enough. Or I'm not happy with, with what I have. Actually, what happened in the Bible is the people of Israel were coming out of the land of Egypt to the promised land. Along the way, they complained. They got bread from heaven called manna. Literally in the Hebrew, it means, what is it? Like really creative. You're walking around and like, what is that? Like, yeah, we should call it that. That'd be great. And so for, for ages, it's been called, what is it? They pick it off the ground. They eat it. Think about this. God has literally cooked something for them and gave it to them. They ate it and like, wow, thank you, God, for making, giving us bread from heaven. But now I'm sick of it. I'm tired of bread from heaven. And so they complained. And when they complained, they longed for things. Longed for the meat they had in Egypt. The leeks, the onions, etc. I don't even like, I hate onions actually. But they loved them. And they complained wishing they had something else. But what's in, really interesting is what it says in Exodus 16 verse 8. When Moses said, The Lord hears your complaints which you make against him, and what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. So, in the same way that when you complain and you have a friend around you, it kind of just brings down their mood, right? You're like, no one likes a complainer. No one likes to be around a person that just whines all the time. I've never in my day seen a person whine and someone else be like, yes, I feel great. Like every time that you complain... Like, this food is terrible. I hate your cooking. You're like, oh, that makes me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. Thank you. No one will ever do that. Just as complaining brings other people down, we got to remember that it disappoints God because what we're saying is we're not thankful for the things that we have. So as the theme of this uh, sermon series is Mouth Factory, and we learned last time once again that we are to give God a sacrifice of praise out of our heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we're creating in our hearts will eventually be shipped out our mouths. We need to remember that if it's not praise, it will be complaints. And do you want to be standing before your Heavenly Father knowing that all you did during this life was complain and not take advantage of the opportunities right in front of you to glorify Him, to bless His name? And so in the letter written to the Philippians by Paul the Apostle, he said as we read earlier, to do all things without complaining. You all know that song, right? Do everything without complaining. Okay, nobody. This is the difference between junior high and high school. In junior high, I was like, yeah, I love that song. In high school, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> song? <laughs> Whatever. You all know that song, hopefully, if you grew up in church. Do everything without complaining. Do everything without arguing. But, but here's why. It says it right in that verse. It says, do all things without complaining or disputing 
that you might become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the reason why we do this is because complaining makes us blend in with the world completely. Like you will, if you say that now you have joy, now you have peace, now you have life and that more abundantly, if you're complaining all the time, how's the world going to believe you? You're going to blend right into the world and its system and its darkness. But first of all, let's talk about what do these words mean? Complaining, disputing. Well, to complain, it literally means to murmur or mutter underneath your breath. Complain. Right? Yeah, complain. Maybe your parents told you, you need to be home at 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock. I was, they didn't even have a curfew back in their day. You just mutter and murmur. You just hate it. Or maybe you've been complaining when teachers give you too much homework. I mean, I do not envy you guys at all because I know the whole Common Core thing. I thought that was a joke. And then I found out it's real. And people have to learn that. That's crazy. So I don't envy you at all. But maybe you're murmuring, muttering because you have too much homework. Well, do you realize that God hears your murmurs? Do you realize when no teacher hears you, when they turn their back and they're writing on the chalkboard and you're muttering under, underneath your breath and you're upset that God hears each and every murmur? And the Bible says that you will be judged for every idle word that you speak. So complaining. And you also have disputing. Now, disputing is more like doubting. In other words, you are doubting that anything good can come out of what's happening. Maybe you've said the phrase, oh, my day is ruined. Everything is over. I mean, how many times have we all said that, right? We've all had those moments in which we're like, everything is ruined because of what you have done. And I just, I want justice. I want you to say, I'm sorry. You need to make this right. And we feel like when we are disputing, we feel like we want justice. And that no amount of justice will actually make it right. And you'll complain. And, and I always laugh because there are some days that you just know are going to be bad days. You wake up and you're like, this will be a terrible day. That's disputing, isn't it? But on those days, it's almost like you have superpowers. And you can tell the future like before it happens. You'll be driving and be like, this person's going to cut me off. Yep, there he goes. That person's going to like completely just gossip about me right in front of my face. And there, there they go. They did it right there. And it's almost like you have superpowers because you just predict like everything's going to go bad in your day. And if something nice happens, someone tries to be nice, you're like, yeah, but it's too late. Everything is ruined. My day is going terrible. You should ask me about my day. When I was your age... And I should, I should never say that. It was only like 10 years ago. But when I was, I was very, very immature. And I read some of my blog posts. And I wrote the worst day of my life. Do you know what the worst day of my life consisted of? Being a 15-year-old, 15-year-old Alan? I complained because my brother was taking too long in the shower. And then he took all the hot water. Worst day ever. I mean, some of you know what that's like, right? So he took all the hot water away, and then I took a shower, a cold shower, mind you. I get out, and I step in cat vomit. 
Worst day ever. And like I wrote, like I was just so sad. I was like, I don't think I'll ever have a worse day than this. This is the pits. This is, <laughs> I mean, think of all the things that could go wrong. But in, in my 15-year-old mind, that was it. I was done. So disputing. Nothing good can come of the situation. But the Bible says not to complain, not to doubt, because you represent God. It says that if you actually can keep yourself from doing that, from muttering, murmuring, disputing, from complaining, you would actually be blameless and harmless. You would think of all the things to focus on in your life, of all the things Paul could have said, make sure you don't kill people. Make sure that you don't kick people. Make sure that you don't, you could have came up with a whole bunch of list of things. But he says the thing that makes you blameless and harmless, the thing that makes you perfect in this world is to watch what you're saying. James says the same thing. That if we could bridle our tongue, we would be a perfect man. So this is a big deal. Try it next time. Try it as an experiment. Today, for 24 hours, I will not complain ever at all. For whatever reason. Just try it. See what happens. Next time that maybe you're sibling is going to take a shower, steals all hot water, and you're just going, and you can't complain. You're not allowed to say anything. I'll use this illustration because I got permission. Last week, I was laying in bed, and it was midnight, and one person decided to set off the alarm at this building, and I had to drive over at midnight. He just sent me a text message saying, like, hey, man, I can't alarm the building. Sorry, my phone's dying, so I guess I'll talk to you in a half hour when I drive home to charge it. Just hangs up. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And I had to get up, get dressed, and go to church. When I was like in that, like you, you sit in your bed, and you're just like, everything is good. I'm going to sleep. But then I had to get up. It was terrible. And then I couldn't even, like, was most, the most terrible thing about it is I knew I couldn't complain because I'm teaching on complaining. So I'm just driving frustrated, but I couldn't really act like I was frustrated. So it was terrible. Anyway. You might become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. First, blameless. I think of Daniel. Daniel was a person who had an excellent spirit. He had a good attitude. And he was known to be a person who was faultless, just like Jesus. Like this guy, there is nothing that you could accuse him for doing wrong. Blameless. And it also says harmless. I love what Spurgeon says about this. He says, the Greek word might be translated hornless. As you were to be creatures not only that do not, that do not harm, but could not do any, like sheep that not only will not devour, but cannot devour, for it were contrary to their nature. For they have no teeth which, with which to bite, no fangs with which to sting, and no poison to slay with. In other words, not just be people that don't do harm, people that cannot do harm. I love what Jesus says. He says, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. We're like, yes, that's deep. And like, wait a minute, who would do that? Like take a whole bunch of cute little sheep and like, yes, into the midst of wolves. And they're like, Gersh, and they just eat them up. That's terrible. That's mean. But you see, that's what God wants us to do is when we go without the fangs, when we go without that ammunition and that bitterness, we are subject to all the evils of the world, but they will see that we're not fighting back. 
Just think about your testimony, how powerful it could be if you go through a trial and don't complain. If you go through a hardship and you don't complain. That you're not angry at God. You're not angry at people around you. You're just like, yep, that's okay. God works it all together for good. And you're okay with that. And this is how you can shine as lights. Because the world is so dark, we as children of light need to be shining that light. The Bible says if you are the salt of the earth, what will happen if you lose your flavor? There's no use for salt if you're not salty. If you're a light, don't hide your light underneath your bed. Let your light shine before men so that people would see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. And he also says, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Think about this. Everyone look up here. Do you realize if you, do you realize that any good deed that you do can be easily ruined by complaining? Think of any good deed. You want to pay for your friend's lunch. Hey man, let me pay for you. And then they accept, oh, thank you so much. That blesses me. I didn't have any money today. Well, yeah, but you know, you always mooch off me and I just hate that, the fact that you have to take my money. And like, if you complain, it ruins everything. The good deed is instantly shattered. The power behind what you've just done was just completely sapped. I think about when you guys were in junior high and maybe you guys remember this. I think some of you were in eighth grade. Um, we were teaching on servanthood. Like that was the theme of the retreat. And it was nighttime. It was like midnight. Everyone's asleep in the guy's cabin. And I go into the bathroom and a toilet is overflowing because someone didn't, you know, fix it or whatever. And I got so mad. I was like, I'll show these kids how to serve. And I was like, we're so bitter. Some of you heard me. You're like sleeping in bed. What is that? And I was like yelling like bitter and murmuring and stuff. And then, like, I pressed the flush button, and it just went down miraculously. And then I started jumping for joy. It's like, yeah, I, I told you I'll show you how to serve. And I started, like, jumping up and down, and, like, Mike Krauser was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was just so happy. And I was like, see, the Lord heard my cries and heard my prayer because I, I, was, I was the subject of injustice. And I flushed the toilet, and it went down. It's great. <laughs> Any good deed that you do is instantly ruined by complaining. Just as a little leaven leavens a whole lump, a little bit of poison can poison the whole meal. A little bit of complaining spoils your good deed. Can you imagine knowing a person who's never annoyed? No matter how much homework they have, no matter if their car breaks down or not, eh, whatever, it's all good. God's good. I'm so thankful. I'm alive. Can you imagine a person who is not moved or bothered by anything? Well, what do we usually complain about? I think it's three things. We complain about things that we have. We complain about things that we don't have. And we complain about things that other people have. So we complain about what we have, what we don't have, and what other people have. I mean, think about it. We complain if we have, like I said, too much homework. We have responsibilities. We have to take out the trash, garbage. We have to take care of our pets, especially when they're diabetic. You have to give them insulin shots and they don't want the insulin. 
and they want to eat. They pretend like they're not hungry, and you for three hours just sit there begging them, please eat your food so I can go to work. And he just stares at you like a crazy little cat. Like, what's wrong with you? Just take the food and eat it. But it's so cute. <laughs> and then you give it the shot, and everything's good. What was I saying? Oh, yes, you complain about things that you have. None of you have this problem because none of you have a cat named Mr. Peaches. I didn't name the cat. We complain about things that we don't have. And then we complain about things that other people have. Man, why is it that I try to follow the Lord? I try to do everything right. And then all the people that I hate seem to succeed in life. All the people that just like keep on sitting. They just don't even care about God, and they, they get famous. They do all the things that they want to do. They get the good grade that they wanted, but I don't. Well, we're going to look at four complaints in the Bible tonight very quickly now. But turn. You're going to be turning your Bibles a couple times. Turn to Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 and 6. I know Pastor Lloyd went over this two weeks ago on complaining and basically stole everything that I was going to say. Not still, he said it first, but he taught the message. It was like, well, now what am I going to teach on? He taught on complaining. And it's great. I think that's how the Holy Spirit actually works, complements those two things. So he taught on Numbers chapter 11, so I'll only go through it very briefly. But Numbers 11, look at specifically verses 4 through 6. It says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. These people wanted meat like they had in Egypt. I know we talked about that a little bit before. And isn't it true that so much of our complaining stems from Wanting what the world has. Just as these people were fed from God's own cooking. They got everything that they would need, but they still wanted more. It wasn't enough to them. Isn't it true that we want what the world has? Even though you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have unlimited access to joy, peace, everything that you could ever want. That the world wishes that they could have. You have access to every single day. You have the choice to read your Bible or sleep in. You have the choice to, to pray on behalf of other people, on, on behalf of yourself. Just pray and praise the Lord. Or we have the choice to do other things that really don't matter for eternity. And yet we'll still want what other people have in the world. We'll see people party. We'll see people hook up or, or do things. And we, there's a little bit of us that still desires the old, old person that we used to be. It reminds me, though, of Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. When God says to the prophet, he says, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? You have said, It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. He was actually speaking to the people of Israel, but that's besides the point. So 
God speaks to the people saying, you have said some pretty harsh things against me. In your heart of hearts, even though you thought no one else could hear you, I heard you when you said, it is useless to serve God. And maybe you haven't said it in those words, but maybe you've thought, is it really worth it to go to church? Is it really worth it to read my Bible? Is it really worth it to follow God? Like maybe I don't have to be those people that are on fire for God. I'll just be those people that once in a while read, once in a while I'll pray, and once in a while I'll like go to a Bible study and whatever. What you've said, maybe not out loud, but what you've thought in your heart is complaining to the Lord saying, Lord, thank you for being God. Thank you for creating the entire universe, but I'm okay without you. I just need a little bit of you. Not all of you, just a little bit. What an insult to the Lord. But the nice thing is that God is so gracious to us. He's so patient. He knows that we're not going to be satisfied no matter how long we go into the world. No matter how much we long for meat as the people of Israel did. They had the manna, great. No matter how much we long for meat, he's like, fine, I'll give you meat. And it just comes out your nose. And it did. They puked it all up. Because there's so much meat, they couldn't even handle it. God knows that the world's not going to satisfy us. You know, in, in the book of Revelation, God says to the people at the church of Laodicea, I wish you were hot or cold. And I love what one commentator says about this. I wish that you were high. I wish you were on fire for the Lord. Or I wish that you were cold so that you would see the coldness of this world and wish for warmth. But because you're lukewarm, there's nothing I can do about that. You have one foot in the world and one foot in church. And because of that, you can neither enjoy the Lord and you can't enjoy the world either. People that have the Holy Spirit will never be able to, under, to enjoy the things that the world has to offer. Because you'll have that conviction and you'll never really feel good about the things that you're doing. So we complain. Wishing we had the things that the world has. But you know what complaining basically is? Complaining is basically walking by sight and not walking by faith. I think that's a simple definition. When you complain, you are walking by what you can see. You're walking by sight, not walking by faith, which, which is the opposite of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or 7, right? In other words, what happens is you're saying, God, based on the circumstances I can see now, with my own two eyes, this is a miserable situation. But what you need to understand is that if you were able to see from God's point of view, you would be exactly where you need to be. People are always looking for the calling of God as if it's out there, as if you will really be used of God when you're out of high school, in college, and you're making a difference in this world, but you can't make a difference right now. And that is a lie from the devil. In fact, I would say to you that maybe the most potential you have to be used of God is right now. Not in 50 years, not in five years, but right now in high school. You have so much access to kids your age that are far from God. And you know what Jesus said? He says, whoever wants to come into the kingdom of heaven must be like little children. I feel like the older you get, and statistics show this too, the older that you get, the more hard your heart gets. So the people that are easiest to reach are sometimes the younger people. Don't miss out on what God has for you right now. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. Faith means even though I can't see the end result, I trust that God does. And I know what he has given me is good. 
Even though I don't understand why we have manna every single day. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, like for 40 years, we're going to eat manna. I understand what God has given me is good. And I'm going to accept it. I'm going to be thankful for it. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8 now. 1 Samuel chapter 8. You're going to give your thumbs a workout tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Verses 4 through 9. In this short passage, the people of Israel had always been led by a theocracy. Meaning, God himself was just ruling over the people directly. There was no king, no one in between them. No uh, mediator, necessarily, besides the prophets just speaking his word to the people of Israel. But the people wanted a king. In verse 4 it says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together... And came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Look, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king uh, to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you. So, like we said again, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Their complaints weren't directed towards Samuel, they were directed towards God. According to all the works they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore hear, heed their voice, however you shall solemnly forewarn them, and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So in this passage, God is speaking to Samuel, because Samuel's like, listen... God, they really, really want this king because they want to look like all the other nations. And God said, don't be insulted. Just really warn them. Let them know what's going to happen. And just, we'll give them a king. They really want a king, they'll get a king. You really want that? Listen, if you really want the things of this world, you're going to get the things of this world. But it's always going to leave you empty and hurting. God's not going to force you to have the things of the kingdom. So Samuel goes up to them and says, listen. You want a king? Fine, you can get a king, but this is what's going to happen. Your daughters are going to be enslaved. You're all going to have to work. You're all going to have to serve this king with the sweat of your brow. It's going to be terrible. All your gold, all the things that you, you gain in this life will be have, to, have to be taxed and be sent to this king. And it's going to be terrible. Do you really want this king? And they said, yes. Why? Because we are embarrassed because every, every time we go to battle, every other nation has a king representing them. And we have an invisible God that no one can see. And so they were embarrassed that their king was invisible. They were complaining because they wanted to look like all the other nations. They wanted to look like they had a reputation. Some of you may complain because you don't feel like you're as gifted as everybody else. Like you don't have as much talent, that you're not as prominent, you're not as popular as everyone else, you're not as liked as everyone else. But listen, don't you go wishing that you were somebody else because God has created you to be you and wants to show his glory through you. He has made you fearfully and wonderfully made. So even if you are the kid who feels like he has absolutely no friends at school or at church, he has created you specifically so that he can have a deeper relationship with you and then you can pass that on to other kids that don't have any friends or family. He wants to use you to reach the people that no one else can reach. So never feel like 
because you're not popular, because you're not talented, that you therefore can't be used mightily of God. It's in fact the opposite. Paul the Apostle, many people when they saw him in person said, who is this guy? He looks like a dweeb. And his voice is all shaky. He's all nervous when he's talking. He's not like Apollos, who's this prominent speaker that's, that's totally like winning the crowds and people are just amazed by his oratory skills. Well, who in history knows Apollos? Very few people. Who knows Paul the Apostle? A lot of people. God uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. Don't be looking at the things that the world has and say, I need that in order to be used of God because that is absolutely false. And in fact, here's the other thing that we can learn from this story. God doesn't want you to have anything that will put a barrier between you and him. And that's exactly what happens with the king. Maybe there are some things that you're asking for that if they were to come into your life, you would have less access to God. You would be distracted. Maybe you're praying for a relationship. And if you were to have that relationship, your focus would be diverted from God to that relationship. Maybe you're praying for a job. Maybe you're praying for money. Maybe you're praying to get into a good school. But if you were to have those things, they would take you away from the person who gives you all things. Don't underestimate the things that God has given you. Turn to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. Many of you know the story of Jonah, the prophet who was to go into the land of Nineveh. And he ran away. He knew God was calling him to speak to a wicked people. And so he ran away from his calling. Many of you are searching for your calling, hoping and wishing that God speaks to you your calling. And here was a man who knew his calling and tried everything in his power to get away from it. And so at the end, when he says, he like literally walks into the city, he's like, fine, I'll go. All right, guys, you have some time to repent. If you don't, then God's going to kill all of you. All right, see you later. And just walks away. And people are like, yeah, we'll repent. Okay. And it worked. Like he was the most apathetic preacher that ever lived. And he was also one of the most successful preachers that ever lived. And it says in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 4, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. How many of you have like been to or seen Greg Laurie Harvest Crusades? And like people come to know God. And this is like all the people rushing forward at a Billy Graham or Greg Laurie Crusade. Everyone's rushing forward to receive Jesus. And then one man in the crowd being like, what is this? This is just, and he just starts getting mad. And this is exact. this is Jonah. Even worse, this is like Greg Laurie being mad that people are coming forward. It's like Billy Graham, like, outraged. Like, why are you guys coming forward? Stop this. This is Jonah. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So then Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. That's nice. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. 
Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between the right hand and the left and much livestock? Powerful lesson for all of us. First of all, I think, I think it's interesting to take note what it says in, in verse 5. He made himself a shelter, sat underneath this plant, till he might see what would become of the city. This is like Jonah. Like, he's so bitter and he's so angry that he's like, I'm going to go get the best seats to watch God just blow this place up. Like, he's waiting. He's like, he goes up on a hill. He's like, I'm going to sit here and wait for the explosions to start. Wait for the fireballs to just come out of heaven and just consume the city. And he's just waiting like this with his arms folded. Like, come on, come on. He's praying for like the death of 120,000 people and livestock. God cares about the animals. It's in the Bible. But then the plant withers and he complains. Why? Why? Now the sun is beating on my brow and I'm sweating. And I'm getting a good tan, but I'm going to get burnt too. Jonah is really upset about this and God rebukes him. But I think it's important for us to see that the worm and the plant were both from God. Many of us might complain because of God's mercy. Because God is gracious to other people. Not just us, but to other people. That people don't get what they deserve. You ever have someone wrong you and you're just waiting for their life to be like miserable? And you're like, like someone completely shuts you down. Someone completely insults you to your face. And you're just hoping, you're praying, you're waiting for their day to come. Like, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. All right, let's see this happen. Come on. We know it's coming. And you know, because like sometimes the person's so inflated and you're like quoting yourself. It's like, pride comes before the fall, please. You're just waiting for them like, Lord, this, is, this person's like the Tower of Babel. Let's bring them down. Come on. And you just like, you fantasize sometimes, like thinking about their demise when God's all about love and mercy. And the fact that God's merciful to you, aren't we to be having compassion on those people that are so lost? Aren't we to have compassion on the people that abuse us? Because sometimes, here's what you need to know. The people that are making fun of you, the people that are abusing you are sometimes the people that need God the most. And thankfully, if you were to die today, you know where you're going. But sometimes the people that are persecuting you, you're not so sure. But we're to see the people around us with the same heart that God has for his people. To not complain about what other people are doing or what, what's happening in everyone else's life, but ask ourselves, what has God given me? And it may be uncomfortable. He might remove the shade and he might give us shade. But no matter what, it's to lead us to a lesson about who God is and what he's done for us. Finally, and we'll wrap this up really quickly, there's a verse in Luke chapter 19, verse 7. Luke chapter 19, verse 7. This is a related point, but it's one verse. When the Pharisees saw Jesus, and it says, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man 
who is a sinner. Once again, it's another complaint. I can't believe that Jesus would hang out with such filthy, rotten people. I can't believe Jesus would bless those people that didn't deserve his grace, that didn't merit his favor. Well, neither did you. And if you, for a minute, feel like God should give you stuff because you've worked hard, you've missed the entire good news of Jesus Christ. If ever we work, we read, we pray for hours, and we're expecting things in the end, then we're missing the entire point. It's not about your works. Otherwise, we could boast. We could brag and say, I prayed for 10 hours straight, and look what happened. Isn't that awesome? No, in fact, prayer should be the ultimate exercise of faith because most of the time you don't even see the end result of it. In the same way, we aren't to complain because of what happens to the people around us. In fact, don't let your complaining keep you from the ministry that is all around you. Instead of looking at, at how people around you are being blessed or people around you are so, like, nasty, ask yourself, are these people that God wants me to minister to? It may not feel fair, but maybe the Lord wants to teach you something through it. In conclusion, with all the things that we've talked about tonight, I think we, we get it that if there's complaining in our heart, it can ruin our testimony. Don't you think that in a world of darkness where everyone is just always down, that we need some people that really do have light shining in their heart? So it's not just hiding the complaints, it's getting rid of them altogether. It's making sure there's no bitterness in your heart. I read a great quote I put on Facebook the other day, but bitterness is drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. We can't be bitterness. We have to... We, we can't be bitter. We have to get rid of any roots of bitterness in our heart, any root of complaining or unthankfulness, ungratefulness, because it will ruin our testimony. If you took an apple and you took a bite of it, and it was a juicy Fuji apple. I say Fuji because I'm Japanese. But then as you took a bite, you notice there's a worm inside. Would you be like, oh, cute little worm. You pluck it out and throw it, you know, and then just eat the rest of the apple. No, because if part of the apple is rotten, the whole apple is rotten. If a fraction of your life has room for complaining, it's going to ruin the whole person. Our mouths are a window into our heart, in other words. So what you're saying is giving people visibility into what's going on inside. But let me ask you this. What if we really feel like we're treated unfairly? What if you really believe that what's happening to you, you do not deserve? And I'm not saying you're baseless in saying that. Because maybe there are some things that you're going through where you just cannot believe that you're going through that situation. And it's just so hard for you. Well, I think it's good to realize, as Solomon did, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 through 9. Because Solomon realized that even the times of trials and even the times of persecution and the times that we feel like we're weighted down, those times can direct us towards the Lord. And so what he longed for was not prosperity and not poverty, but to be pleased with whatever the Lord has given us. He says this, 
Two things I request of you, and deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What he wished for was not a life that was completely taken care of, because maybe he wouldn't, he wouldn't even take the time to thank God and think, wow, I, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good without God. And he also didn't long to be poor. Because if he was poor, then maybe he would have stolen something, stolen some bread. He'd have to be ungrateful. But he said, Lord, give me what I need for today. And so realize, hopefully we all realize, that God has given each and every one of us what we need every single day. And so there's nothing wrong in asking God for things. But when they don't work out our way, let's not complain so that we can shine as lights in the darkness. And so this is what I'd say. This is my commission to you. Everybody look up here real quick. And we're closing. It's over. Like I said before, you guys, I think, are the most untapped into generation ever. You have the most potential. Like if you decided today you want to learn guitar, you don't have to go take guitar lessons. You can go on YouTube and learn how to play guitar. If you want to learn how to sing, you can go on YouTube and figure out how to sing. If you want to do anything you want to do, you can figure it out and do it. But many times we're complaining because we feel like we don't know what to do and we don't like what we have. When God is giving you so much resources, don't be the person who's taken the talent from God and hit it in the ground and said, what? Well, you didn't really give me anything to work with. God has given you an ability. Your time to shine is not in five years when you're in college ministry or you have a job or you're a pastor or whatever, your time is right now. And so you look around the teen center, like, this is pretty cool, but, like, this is also, like, styled for 2008. Like, some of that paint's outdated and, and peeling off and this floor needs to be done and stuff. And, like, we want to reamp this thing, but we need your help. Like, this is not my ministry. This is not the leader's ministry. This is your ministry. If you guys wanted to make something of it, you could. If you say, it would be great if we, like, got to paint on the walls. We got to make a mural. And I think I'm pretty gifted. I'm not the best, but I'm pretty gifted. Yeah, do it. Awesome. We want to empower you to do stuff. Like we have one of the, the kids that was in the youth group years ago. He now wrote a song uh, with some other people. And it's on the top 10 on iTunes right now. It's awesome. It's great. But you guys can do stuff. And not just in five years. You can do it right now. Question is, do you want to be used of God? Instead of looking at the future and looking at the past, always wishing you had what other people have, why don't you take a moment and ask, what is my gifting? And here's the problem. Most of the things that God's calling us to do are not the things that we want to do. You think about where's the need? Usher's ministry at the church. Directing traffic. And you look at that and say, well, I would like to get involved with the ushers, but it doesn't seem like there's like a success track in that. Like, I don't... I don't reach the top and then suddenly become like a man of God or I don't become a pastor. I don't become like a worship leader or whatever. But you're also fulfilling what God's calling you to do. And some of the, the most glamorous jobs to us are the jobs that we can do without. Like I'm easily replaceable as a preacher. But some of the things that are most important are not easily replaced and the things that people don't even see. The fact that we get to gather in this building is due to the hard work of people you may not even know. 
But without this building, we wouldn't even be able to meet. I'd just be like, hey, come over to my house. And, like, my parents would be there and be great because my mom could cook for us. But realistically, 100 people in my house would not be a good situation. So think about, Lord, what is my gift? What have you given me? Because you have given each and every one of us something, and I want to make sure that I take advantage of it for your glory. Maybe it's writing a book, a blog post, going evangelizing. I don't know what your gifting is, but use it to the glory of God and praise him with it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for our gifting. We have so much to thank you for. And we want, we, we want to just take a second to do that, Lord. To not miss out on the fact that you have um, blessed us with every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places. Lord, as we go into small groups, we pray that you speak to us. Help us to really think about things that we can be thankful for. And help us to guard our mouths from complaining. We thank you, Lord, and praise you. In Jesus' name we all said, amen.